Well, if you turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, we have made it to Revelation chapter 3. And today we look at our fifth church out of the seven churches of Revelation. I read this week where the number seven is referred to 54 times in the book of Revelation. And therefore, the number seven doesn't mean just the number seven, but seven has the meaning of completion, of perfection, of fullness, as we know. And uh, we've come to the church of Sardis. If you'd please stand in honor of God's word. And this is a very short letter, just uh, six verses in our, our Bible. In honor of God's word, let me read out loud and you follow along in your hearts. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it. Repent. If you will not wake up, I'll come to you like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they'll walk with me in white. For they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Well, it's a short letter, but it is one uh, packed letter is we're going to find out. Thank you. you. May be seated. I've shared with you that twice I've had the privilege of actually going to modern day Turkey and studying these seven churches on site. And what's amazing when you do, and it's also true in Israel, is how much added insight you get into the text when you see the geography. Many times the geography says a lot, and that is certainly true of this church in Sardis. I have a few pictures here. Uh, up above, you see a mountain called Mount uh, uh, Tamales, and it's 15 feet high, and that's actually where the city used to be, is up on top of there. But let me give you some history that really plays into our text. Uh, in 546 B.C., the Persians came and captured that city up there that they thought was impenetrable um, from the Lydians. And do you know how they did so? It was uh, supposedly guarded, and you could never find a way up. But a soldier had dropped his helmet down a crevice, and they watched him crawl down that crevice, get his helmet, and crawl back up, and they saw that there was an entryway. And that night, the soldiers went up and took the city over. Nearly 300 years later, in 214 B.C., the Greeks came and took it from the Persians. Again, they felt that they were secure. And how did it happen? They had a section where they would throw the garbage over and the vultures would come. 
Well, no one wanted to guard that section, and they noticed that the vultures never left. So they realized that section is not guarded. And that night they went up and they took over the city as well. Again, both times they felt so secure, no one will ever be able to come and take our city up here. And then in 17 AD, an earthquake destroyed the whole thing, and that's why it looks the way it does today. It was actually much bigger. And uh, I think we may have another picture, maybe not. Yes. Down below, these are some old ruins, and what's also amazing about this city is this was the wealthiest city of all seven that we've looked at. This was a city that felt it was extremely secure. It was a city that uh, was very, very wealthy. And in that city was a church that sadly had a lot of that same thought amongst themselves. Uh, In ancient Greece, uh, Sardis is called a cautionary tale. Do you know what a cautionary tale is? It, it would be like the Titanic today that thought they could never sink. So there's a cautionary tale to don't be over too overconfident. And then you think of scriptures that say pride goes before destruction, haughtiness before a great fall. Well... There's many that have thought they couldn't fall, and they have, and this city of uh, Sardis was one of those. Now, to that city, we find this letter written. It says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, a wealthy church, probably, uh, well, not probably, as you looked at the ruins, the one, the church that had the, the best buildings, the biggest buildings, mosaic floors, This is a church that all the other churches would have known about and probably envied. This church was in this wealthy, walled-in city, but just as the city had a weakness, and we are told that, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall, don't give Satan a foothold. It was a very vulnerable church because of its attitude. Have you ever heard the expression, nothing fails like success? (laughs) We get a little too confident, and that was true, we're going to see, of this church. This is a cautionary tale for churches. We have that expression in uh, Scripture, oh, how the mighty have fallen. I could tell you of some mighty pastors I know that have fallen. I can tell you of some mighty churches that have fallen. And what is it? Hubris, that old ancient term which means to have excessive pride which becomes your nemesis. That's your downfall. Nothing fails like success. This was a blessed church in many, many ways like the city, and yet their blessing became their burden. Who's it to? It's to the angel of the church that's in Sardis. Who's it from? The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Well, we've already had the interpretation of this in earlier letters that the seven spirits, are, it's completion. Isaiah 11.1 1 speaks about the sevenfold spirit of God, the wholeness of God's spirit. And then the seven stars are these messengers to the seven churches. Some believe angels, some believe it's actually the pastor of the church, my personal opinion is that 
Each church has a particular guardian angel assigned to it. And uh, now, typically, we have where the next thing is the compliment, where, where the, the good things about this church. This is amazing. Jesus cuts to the quick and goes to the complaint. I have a major complaint against you. It's interesting that out of the seven churches, five of them are told to repent. Repent or else. This is serious business. You have a a serious health issue in this church, and he cuts right to the quick. It's like going to the doctor, and the doctor doesn't mess around, and he says, listen, you've got, we'll say, you've got diabetes, or you have a heart condition, something like that. Well, that's what Jesus is doing here. The complaint. I know your works. I know you. I see you all the time. You know, children have this little uh, game they play. If you put a blanket over your face and you play peekaboo, somehow the child thinks you disappeared. And then they're all excited. There you are again. I see you, you know. Well, sometimes I think people think that with God, that if I somehow camouflage myself or cover myself up, God won't be able to see me. We're worried, uh, man, years ago, um, some of you're old enough, you'd know this. uh, Smile, you're on candid camera. Well, that used to be something that would happen very seldom. Now, you better smile. You're on candid camera. You buy gas, you're on candid camera, right? We're being watched all the time, and uh, God is always seeing us. You know, I had a humorous thing happen recently with that. I live uh, fairly close to where there's two lakes, and there's just a little bridge and a little, it's man-made, where you can take a kayak or a canoe between the two lakes. There's a little bridge over it and a road, there's a guy that lives in, 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 close to there that I know, and he, uh, he's a truck driver, but he got in trouble for drunk driving, and he told me he swore off alcohol. Nine o'clock in the morning, I'm kayaking through, and I look up on this bridge, and there he is standing at that bridge. Now, it's kind of foggy. He didn't see me drinking a beer at nine o'clock in the morning. And I looked at him and said, hey, Rick, Craig Clapper. He goes, oh, uh, I only drink one. <laughs> I thought, yeah, 9 o'clock in the morning, you know, he got caught dead to rights, man. Well, you can't hide from God. God will see you on that bridge, man. God says, I know your works. I know you. I know you have, and this is a key term, you have a reputation. All the other churches say, all the other Christians in Galatia say, a reputation of being alive that you're in a live church, that you got a lot going on, but you're dead. Can you imagine that statement from Jesus? I know as a church, you've got a reputation amongst other humans of being alive. But in my opinion, you are dead. Dead means cut off. Uh, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. They didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. What he's saying is, You do not have my spirit. You're spiritually dead. This also dates you. Remember the Wendy's commercial? Where's the beef? (laughs) The little lady. I think it's what's seeing here is, where's the spirit? You know, there's a medical condition called Sindahem's chorea. Well known as St. Vitus Dance, the uh, patron saint of dancing. It's actually a condition of rapid, uncoordinated, 
jerking movements of the body parts. Lots of motion, but not going anywhere. Jesus is saying, you got a lot going on, but there's no life in it. It's dead. Spiritually, you're not accomplishing a thing because you're not spirit-filled. You're not controlled by this seven spirits of God. You're running around like a chicken with its head cut off. Now, we know that expression, but I tell you, I've actually seen that. Once you've seen it, you'll never forget it. That chicken's dead. It just doesn't know it yet. (laughs) It'll find out pretty soon, but it's an amazing thing. Well, I think what we could say is Jesus is pretty much saying, you're running around like a chicken with its head cut off. Like, you're running around like a body of believers, but there's no spirit. I'm not there. There's no unction, as the King James says. There's no filling of the Holy Spirit. There's no power of the Holy Spirit. We find in Scripture, it says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. It's interesting. It says, when David was anointed to be king, literal Hebrew, and the Spirit rushed upon David, took him over. And uh, we're so concerned about our reputation. Someone has said, you work on your character, and God will take care of your reputation. That is a great expression. We work on our character, and then God will work on the reputation. My guess is Church of Sardis was reading their own mail. They thought pretty well of themselves. Yeah, we got a lot going on. And others think so, too. They've been reading their own press. But Jesus says, you're dead. That's the complaint. Well, is there anything you can do about it? Now, this actually seems a little bit uh, confusing. What do you do if a church is dead? It has to be brought to life. But it says, wake up! (laughs) With an exclamation point. Wake up! You know, years ago, uh, my wife and I, we needed a new alarm clock, and we, I saw one, and I thought that would be really good. It had uh, sounds rather than alarm. Uh, it, the alarms would be, it said, chirping birds and um, rambling brook. I thought it would be really nice to wake up to that. So I set that thing for uh, chirping birds <laughs> the next morning. This was the sound. It was a bunch of crows. <laughs> Scared the living daylights out of me. I jumped up and run around. What, 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 what? And Jan says, that alarm clock. Man alive. I decided, well, we're going to put it on Rambling Brook. I tried it. It sounded like Niagara Falls. It's like, man alive. We got rid of that alarm clock, you know. It's a bad way to start your day. Uh but I've been in Niagara Falls. Maybe you've been there. On down the riverways, they have a lot of signs. It's say, turn back, turn back now. And then finally there's one that says, if you don't turn back now, you're going over Niagara Falls, you know. Well, let me ask you, has God ever chirped at you? Has God ever said, you better wake up. You're going to go off the cliff. It's getting late for you. I've tried to tell you, you're living off your reputation of what you 
used to be, but not what you are now. You know, I, uh, our grandkids were just at my house for the weekend, and um, my uh, one grandson saw a picture of me running a marathon when I was young down in Florida. He couldn't believe that was Papa. <laughs> so, well, that's what I used to be. And without thinking or saying it, I think he was thinking, yeah, well, you ain't that now. <laughs> Nothing worse than an old athlete or old Hollywood star that doesn't know that their day's over. Um, except maybe a church that doesn't know its day's over. Living in the glory days of what I used to be, what we used to be. But the Spirit of God is left dead. During our Sunday school time, we'll talk about how do, you, how do you know if a church is alive or dead? If you go into one, can have a whole lot of activity, but how do you know if the Spirit of God is there and active? So the remedy is wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. So it sounds like, well, resuscitation is possible, <laughs> uh, You can come back from the dead like I guess Lazarus did where Jesus said, wake up Lazarus, but strengthen what remains and is about to die. What is still breathing that is still alive? For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. In the sight of my God, we live with an audience one. You're not completing things. You know, interestingly, I own some land, and um, back in uh, May before Mother's Day, the farmer that I rent the land out to uh, planted corn. And uh, right after, there was a cold spell and a lot of cold rain, and therefore, it only had what's called a stand of about 60%. Only about 60% of it sprouted. This week, that farmer came in, plowed it all up, or disked it all up, destroyed it all, and replanted and uh, I was talking to the farmer that lives next door, not the one that uh, farms it for me. And I said, man, wouldn't that be a loss for him to replant after uh, he had a 60 to 70% stand? And he goes, um, well, even if he would lose money, he would still do it. And I said, why? He said, because other farmers know that's his field and it would be bad advertisement. He said, we farmers, there's a lot of pride about your fields. And you go past and say, with him it'd be, oh, look at the shepherd's field. He only has about a 60, 70% stand. He said, it's, it's about your reputation as a farmer, about your outward appearance in a sense. Made me think of this. God, everybody else saying, you got a 100% stand. And God says, well, in my sight, it's about a 60, 70% stand. It... Uh, It needs to be plowed under and replanted. How do you strengthen what's about to die? I think the next verse tells it. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. What did they receive? They received the Holy Spirit. If you're a church, then... The Lord Jesus Christ dwells in his body individually as believers, but in a unique way, corporately. You've received Jesus Christ himself. 
He indwells you. He's anointed you. He's given you unction. That's where the beef is at, is in Jesus. Remember, think back what you've received. We've received the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ himself. And what you've heard, we have the word of God. If a church has the word of God and they have the Holy Spirit, uh, that's where the beef is. That's where the life is. I tell you what, I'm positive that you've had the same experience. That you've gone to a church that maybe had a glorious past, but when you walk in, it just doesn't seem that the Lord is present. Something seems dead here. You can't quite put your finger on it, but something seems missing. You know, in uh, the, uh, the story of Alice in Wonderland, there's this scene. Listen to this and think of this spiritually. The Mad Hatter says to Alice, you're not the same as you were before. You, you were much more, muchier. You've lost your muchness. My muchness, says Alice. In there, something's missing. Think of this spiritually. I'm going to read it again. The Lord Jesus says to us, you're not the same as you were before. You were much more. Muchier. You've lost your muchness. Our muchness? In there. Something's missing. <laughs> you know, I read, I couldn't believe this, that amongst the wealthy in California, they're prepaying to have plastic surgery done on their dead bodies so they look their best in their casket. (laughs) Well, I think there's churches that pay a whole lot to try and look their best so people walk past and look at them and say, don't they look great, but they're dead. By the way, I've thought through what I want people to say about me and my casket. He moved. He's not dead yet. (laughs) He's still alive. Well, that's what's being said here. Is there any way that Jesus could say they moved? They're still alive even though something's missing. Then he says this. It's a warning. If you do not wake up, I'll come but like a thief. And you'll not know at what hour I'll come against you. Not come for, but come against in judgment. You know, it says in Thessalonians that we're not like those who are unaware that he should come upon us, come to us as a thief. We ought to know what's going on. We ought to know the times. But there are those that will be caught off guard, to, like a thief coming to the house. And I'll come, and I'll come in judgment. When I was a kid... We lived out in the country, and this girl, um, she's deceased now, so I'll talk about her. Her name was Lou Ann Hall. She lived way back this farm lane, and when the bus would pull up, she was never there. This farm lane had to be at least a quarter of a mile, and she would be down there somewhere, and she would come running, and 
This was that time of year or time of life. Some of you may remember this. She always had her hair in orange juice cans wrapped around. Those were curlers that she'd put orange juice cans in her hair. She'd drive to the bus with orange, and then she'd take them out of her hair on the bus. And the bus driver got onto her and said, I'm not going to wait anymore for you. You've got to be down here. We're not waiting for you to run the whole way down. Didn't do any good. One, we, it was one of the happiest moments of my youth. <laughs> she's running down through there, and that bus driver, you go to jail for this today, he waited until she got to the door. He shut that door and took off. <laughs> Left her with her juice cans in her hair. I tell you what, after that, she showed up. She was there. And I think that's a little bit, Jesus is saying, listen, if you don't wake up, and you don't come down here, I'm going to close the door <laughs> and uh, leave you looking kind of crazy there. I love the fact that he always says there's a reward, just like a good parent. Let me, let me give you a good reward. You know, I had a little granddaughter at her house last night, and she wanted to do certain things, and then uh, she wanted to go to Sweetie Frogs. Do you know what Sweetie Frogs is, one of those yogurt places? Man, the problem is they charge you by the ounce for that. Cost ten bucks for. She put all these gummy bears and stuff in there. I looked at her. It's like, man, alive. I said a reward, but I didn't say my life savings for ice cream. <laughs> What's the reward yet? I still, I love this too. He said, yet. That's but there's something else. There's something good here. Just a little ray of hope. You have still, and it would have been hard for them. A few names, I love the fact it says names, particular people that I know. You got a few, they're people. So people can do this. People can stay awake. People can be ready. Who have not soiled their garments. It's a picture in all the gods and goddesses in Sardis, you had to have white sparkling, clean garments to get to go worship. And I think he's playing off that. He says, uh, these people haven't soiled their garments. They haven't gotten down in the dirt and the muck. They, they, they have stayed spiritually clean. And they will, here's a little future thing for the future. They're going to walk with me in white, for they're worthy. Word worthy is really an interesting word in its original language. It was used for scales when they're in balance. That this says 16 ounces, well then this is 16 ounces because it's worthy. It weighs the same thing as. What it's saying is this, because their behaviors are in line with, in balance with their beliefs. <laughs> their profession and their possession are the same. They're living out what they declare. They're worthy, so they're going to walk with me uh, one day. And then it says this, and the one who conquers, every one of these churches says this, the one who has the victory, the one who overcomes, the one who does what I say will be clothed in white garments. You know, all through Scripture we see these white garments. We find out in Isaiah that all our righteousness is but filthy rags. But Isaiah 61 Verse 10 says, he has clothed me with the garment of salvation. He's wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Amen to that. 
And then it says in Revelation 7 that we are washed, uh, these people washed their robes in, uh, and made them white through the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. In Revelation 22, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life, that they might enter the city by the gates. You want to be wearing that white garment. Do you remember that really strange uh, parable Jesus told in Matthew 22? He talks about there was a big banquet and all the people invited, they didn't come. So he says, go out and get them out of the hedges and the highways, wherever you can get anybody, invite them in. And so they all come to the, the big wedding feast. And then it says that the, 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 the father of the groom he comes and he goes uh, to a guy. He goes, how did you get in here? You don't have the proper clothing on. And it said, and he was speechless. And they said, cast him out. Well, if you think it through, it's like, well, they got this guy out of the gutter. Why would you expect him to have the proper clothing? And this is the key, because at these wealthy banquets, you gave the guest the proper clothing. Why didn't you put on the proper clothing? It was offered to you, therefore cast him out. We want to be wearing those white robes. And then it says, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. You know, several times throughout Scripture, I think nine times, this book of life is mentioned. And by the way, that ne uh, never is a double negative. I will never, no, never blot his name out of the book of life. Exodus 32 is the first time it shows up, and it says, uh, Moses says, forgive them, God. If not, then blot my name out of the book that you've written. And God says, no, I'm not going to blot yours out. But I'll blot those peoples out that have sinned. Psalm 69, David said, May the wicked be blotted out of the book of life and not listed with the righteous. Daniel 12, everyone whose name is written in the book of life uh, will be delivered. And Jesus said, Don't rejoice because the demons obey you, but rejoice because your name is written in heaven. In Philippians, Paul says, fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Revelation 13, all those whose names have not been written in the book of life will worship the beast. Revelation 20, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, they're thrown into the lake of fire. <clears throat> 21, 27, only those whose names are written in the book of life will enter into the new Jerusalem. It's interesting that I believe Jesus played, played this off of that city because in that city, I've seen this, each city had a big pillar out in front with the names of the wonderful leaders uh, of the history of that city written in it. And every once in a while, you saw one that was blotted out. They just chiseled the name out because that person had somehow fallen in uh, disrepute of that particular city. I believe that Jesus was playing off that and saying, I'm never going to blot your name out 
of the book of life. And then it goes on. He goes, I'll confess his name before my father and his angels. Isn't that wonderful that Jesus is going to say, I know you. Well, what would our response be to this? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow, that's a powerful letter, isn't it? He cut to the quick. Here's a church that had a fabulous reputation that fell in the same way that the city itself had fallen because of being so prideful, reading their own mail, and feeling so secure. And yet the scripture says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. How many churches started out so well with a great history of how God worked in them and then something happened And if you walked in, you'd say, where's the spirit? Um, Saying all the right things, uh, singing the right hymns, but it seems dead. Like something's just not alive and real. And I think that's discernment, that that can happen. It can happen with people too. And again, I've been around a long time. You maybe have seen this too, where somebody that was on fire for the Lord, later you meet them and it's like, it seems like spiritually they're dead or they certainly aren't alive like they were in the past. Well, I'm grateful to say that the same God who gives you the Holy Spirit can renew you, can fill you, If you've grieved the Holy Spirit, quenched the Holy Spirit, he longs to come back and take over. And I'm glad to tell you this, that archaeologists have studied, and by all indications, Sardis listened to this letter. They had, it was unbelievable, a two-mile mall through this town. Uh, Old Roman streets that Paul walked down, and you can walk down it too. And they've discovered, and you've seen the archaeological digs, 33 shops, like stores. And 16 out of the 33 had the Christian symbol in it of the, of the fish. That it seems that that church turned it around. They had a warning, and uh, they were resuscitated. They came back to life. I believe that one of the saddest verses in the Bible is the verse that says this. Samson awoke from his sleep, and he thought, I'll go out as I did before, and I'll shake myself free. You probably could complete it. But he did not know what? That the Spirit of God had left him, and he was weak as any other man. Several times it says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and he completed some great feat for God. But now his hair was cut, the secret to his strength symbolically. And it says he was as weak as any other man. They gouged his eyes out and took him, by the way, to Gaza. (laughs) And he acted like a mule. By the way, do you know why they gouged his eyes out? Uh... They put blinders on the mules because he would have gotten dizzy. (laughs) But 
I think that's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. He knew not that the Spirit of God had left him. I guess maybe the church or the person is the last to know. But I believe perhaps one of the most hopeful verses in all the Bible is just a little bit later. It says, but his hair began to grow. (laughs) His hair began to grow. Just think, maybe Samson knew where his strength was. And one day he went to wipe his brow when he was uh, on the mill. And he thought, my hair is growing. Huh. I wonder if there's hope. And then God gave him strength for one last battle. And that's why Samson is in the heroes and heroines of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11, where it says this. Time fails me to tell of Samson, who by faith conquered kingdoms. <laughs> Isn't God good? Well, I don't know about you, but from this text, I want to be ready. I want that white robe. I want to be worthy. I want my name in that book. Amen. Do you want your name in that book? I mean, it's one thing to show up, and maybe it's happened to you, at a hotel, and you had reservations, and they said, we have no record of that reservation. And you get in your car and look for another place. That's bad. But I tell you what, I want my name in that book. (laughs) And I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to hear my name confessed. And Jesus says, I know him. Amen? Amen. Well, what a statement for all churches of all time to uh, trust God, but... Make certain that uh, you're alive, that the Holy Spirit is the empowerment of your church. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a, it says, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So, for here, uh, we pray that this church, Oakland Drive Christian Church, would hear from your spirit. But then, Father, this church is made up of names, as it says, people. People who um, uh, can really turn this around. And I pray that each of us individually would um, repent if we need to, remember and keep that which we've heard and that which we've received. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said... Amen.